0: Hi, I'm Heather. I'm Haley. And we're the Who It Sisters, a Kansas City true crime podcast. This episode is on Richard Grissom and the three women that he is convicted of murdering, Joan Butler, Christine Roche, and Teresa Brown. We went to the apartments and the Raytown storage unit, and we talked about their devastating last days. Kansas City was in a wind advisory yesterday. So some of the sound when we are in open areas is not the best, and so I have subtitles in that area. But for the record, it's Haley's fault because we were supposed to film the day before,
1: and oh, right. she the, one to it the day
0: before too. I don't know, but it was her fault. It's okay. still her fault. Right. I it's up for the record. So thanks for watching. This episode is on Joan Butler, Christine Roche, and Teresa Brown. Richard Grissom was convicted of their murders in 1990. Their bodies have never been found and they are listed on missing persons databases such as the Doe Network and NamUs. Back in 1989 when these events occurred, Richard Grissom lived in building 9202 at the apartment complex that used to stand here. It's since been torn down and a new apartment complex has been built in its place. Richard Grissom was born in South Korea to an American serviceman and a South Korean prostitute. When he was two years old, his biological mom sent him to an orphanage where he was eventually adopted by an American serviceman and his wife. When Grissom was 10, he began shoplifting and breaking and entering one time he broke into a family's home and he tortured and beat their family cat his parents were able to convince the family not to call the police and they paid for the vet bills when grissom was in high school his family moved to Leavenworth, kansas when grissom was 16 years old he broke into 72 year old hazel meeker's home through a basement window she heard a noise she went downstairs And Grissom tied her to a chair and he stabbed her to death with a iron railroad tie. Even after she was dead, he continued to stab her. Grissom was arrested and he was placed in a juvenile correctional facility where he broke out two times. And both times he was found burglarizing nearby homes. Regardless, he was released after three years, and a judge had his court record sealed. For the next nine years, Grissom is arrested at least ten times, and he goes to prison for four years for stealing a car. Grissom was sentenced for four years for stealing two cars, which was more than what he got for killing Hazel. Which brings us to 1989. Shortly before these events occurred, Grissom began a painting company called Apex, which painted apartment complexes. On June 6, 1989, Grissom went to Wichita, Kansas to rent painting equipment. Around midnight, he broke into Terry Mannes' apartment. He strangled her to death and then he stabbed her repeatedly. A neighbor saw Terry's car drive out of the apartment complex parking lot around 5.30 in the morning, and it was abandoned just a couple blocks away. And a nearby car had its Nebraska license plate stolen, which will come into play later on. Michelle Kapp lived alone on the top floor of this building This apartment complex was one of the places that Grissom painted, and so he had a passkey to this apartment complex. And on June 12th, Michelle was awoken between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning when her bedroom light turned on, and she saw who would later be identified as Grissom standing at the foot of her bed. He jumps on her bed, and they begin to struggle, and he tells her not to scream because he has a gun. He grabs her and he starts to take he takes her outside and they start going down these stairs when Michelle screams. So he takes his gun, which is really an air pellet gun, and he fires at her two times and it doesn't go off. So then he starts beating her with the gun, it breaks, and he runs off to his car. But he comes back, he turns around and goes back and picks up the broken piece, and then he leaves. Police were called and they found Grissom's flashlight and knife in Michelle's bedding. Michelle later on testified at the murder trial. Michelle is the only known victim of Grissom to survive. Joan Butler, 24, lived alone on the second level of these apartment buildings. On Saturday she got off work and then she went over to a friend's house and they ended up going dancing that night and when she was done she went back to her friend's apartment Meanwhile, Grissom is at a nightclub in Lawrence with his girlfriend, and at between 2 and 2.30 in the morning, Grissom walked his girlfriend to her car, and then he told her that he was going back to his Lenexa apartment. Grissom went back to his apartment where he changed clothes, and then he drove out to the Comanche apartments right here. He arrived around 3 o'clock, and he had the plan to burglarize an apartment 171, which is located on the other side of this parking area. The person who lived in that apartment wasn't home that weekend, so he was able to grab some of her jewelry. Joan left her friend's apartment at 4 o'clock in the morning to come back here to her apartment. And it's believed that when Joan pulled in that Grissom saw her and she became a target. Police know that Joan made it into her apartment because the dress that she had worn when she was out dancing with her friend was hanging, was found hanging on her closet door. Later on, the neighbor who lived below Joan testified that around 4.30 in the morning she heard a very loud thud, which was so loud it sounded like something or someone had hit the floor above her. And when police later investigated Joan's apartment. There was no sign of forced entry. There was no sign of a struggle. There was no blood and there was no semen, but they did find one of the necklaces that Grissom had stolen from the apartment 171. Two hours after Joan had left her friend's apartment to come home, there was a $300 withdrawal from her banking account. Now, Joan's bank account had a $300 a day maximum withdrawal limit, so there was a $300 withdrawal, and then immediately afterwards, there was a balance inquiry, and then for the next two days, between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, $300 were additionally taken out, so that $900 was taken out of her account, and her account was pretty much depleted, Police believe that Joan was probably killed after that first withdrawal. Five days later, on Sunday, Joan's car was found at the Trail Ridge Apartments in Lawrence. Now, Grissom had a painting contract with that apartment complex, and his company was given uh, the rights to use a unit, 531, to store their painting supplies. So the car is found, the police are called, and a police officer comes out and he watches Jones' car until someone approaches it, who later is identified as Grissom. He sees Grissom go to the car and open up the trunk, and the officer approaches him and he asks him for ID. Grissom says he doesn't have it on him that his ID is in the apartment 531. So the officer says, then let's go get it. As they're walking to the apartment, Grissom takes off running and gets into the apartment and shuts the door. And by the time the officer is able to get into the apartment, Grissom had escaped through a window. Grissom makes his way to a grocery store and he calls an employee of of his and has him come and pick him up, no questions asked. The employee drives Grissom back to Lenexa, to his apartment where he helps him pack up all of his things. They load it up into the co-worker's truck, and then they drive it to Grissom's car, which was parked at the Motel 6. When he gets to his car, Grissom tells the man that he's he can have everything else that he left in his apartment. He can have his painting company, and he's on his way to California. Police end up towing Jones' car to Overland Park, and they process it. They find an air pistol in the glove compartment, they find, they find a wallet with Grissom's IDs. He has numerous IDs with his photo, but with different aliases. And in the trunk, they find painting supplies. They take the painting supplies out and they find Joan's blood. And when they pull up the carpet, some of the padding had been removed. There was also scratch marks on the outside of her car, similar to what a tree limbs would, would make. And underneath, on the undercarriage, there was fine dust similar to loose gravel. Christine Roche and Teresa Brown, both 22, were roommates in this apartment complex and they lived on the second floor of this building. While Grissom was packing up his Lenexa apartment, Christine had gone to a nightclub with a friend and at 12.30 that early Monday morning, She said that she needed to go home and go to bed because she had to work later that day. Teresa had stayed all night at her boyfriend's house. And at 6 a.m. that Monday, she got up and she also returned to her apartment because she had to work that Monday also. It's known that Teresa made it back home because the clothes that she had worn to her boyfriends were found on her bedroom floor. When police later searched the apartment, they found no sign of forced entry, no sign of struggle, no blood, No semen, but they did find pubic hair of Grissom's in both Teresa and Christine's bedding. Now, between 8 and 9 a.m., Christine was forced to drive to four different branches of her bank. Witnesses described her as looking disheveled and wearing sunglasses. During that time, she made two separate phone calls about 15 to 20 minutes apart between going to the banks. The first phone call was to Teresa's job where she called in sick for her roommate. And then the second phone call at a different payphone was to her own job saying that she couldn't come in and that she was sick. Grissom had rented a storage unit in South Overland Park at the beginning of June. And it's believed after Christine had made these bank withdrawals that Grissom took Christine to that Overland Park storage unit and left her there. The Overland Park storage unit was rented under one of Grissom's aliases, Randy Rodriguez. Later, when that storage unit is processed, police find Christine's sunglasses, strands of her hair, and duct taped strands of her hair on that also. So it's believed that while he put Christine in that unit, he duct taped her mouth shut and that is when he ended up driving Teresa to Raytown to rent an additional storage unit. No hairs of Jones or Teresa's were found in that unit, only Christine's. After dropping Christine off at the South Overland Park storage unit where he had her tied up and then duct tape was put around her mouth, Grissom took Teresa here to a Raytown storage facility he had her rent a unit in Christine's name. Now, later on at trial, a facility employee described Teresa as looking in distress and unkept, and their policy is to rent a unit by the month, and Teresa was told by Grissom to say she only needed the unit for a few days, So the employee, based on Teresa's appearance, assumed that she was down on her luck and agreed to rent her this unit for a few days. Now, the unit is huge, as you can tell. There's a garage door in the front and in the back. So Grissom was able to drive Christine's car into the unit. The storage facility has a keypad out front so that your exits and your entrances are electronically recorded so it's known that at 9 40 a.m Brisson enters this unit for the first time it's believed he puts teresa in it because seven minutes later he exits and then he's gone for an hour and it's believed that during that time he went back to the overland park storage unit gets christine and then brings her back here and no one leaves again for 10 hours so for those 10 hours Grissom, Christine, and Teresa are in this unit. 9.15 that night, Grissom and Christine go to two banks, one in Waymore and one in Belton. It's not known whether or not Teresa is with them, but Christine uses Teresa's ATM card and at the Belton bank withdraws $300. The security camera at that bank captures Christine's face She's battered. She has a bandage on her forehead. She has at least one black eye, and she's wearing sunglasses, and it's 10 o'clock at night. Now, because Christine's sunglasses are found in the South Overland Park storage unit, it's possible after going to the bank that Grissom took her back to that unit before returning to the Raytown storage unit. But what is known is that throughout that night and early mornings, there are numerous Entries and exits of this unit, and it's theorized that that is when Teresa and Christine are murdered, the bodies are dumped, and Grissom cleans this unit. This unit is not processed for a year, and when it is processed, blood is found, but because it had been a year and numerous people have went to the unit, DNA was not found. That morning, a man on his way to work found papers, checkbook, credit cards, in the ditch of 139th Street Metcalf. On his way home from work, the items are still there. He gathers some of them up, takes them home with the intentions of finding the owners. But when he sees Christine's name on the paperwork, he recognizes it as being a missing person, so he calls the police. That same afternoon, Christine's driver's license is found on the I-435 South Ramp and 87th Street. Now that location is three miles from Grissom's apartment and the 139th Street and Metcalf location is one mile from the South Overland Park unit. That afternoon, Grissom abandons Christine's car at the Motel 6, which is just blocks away from Christine and Teresa's apartment. Her car is found the next day There is a huge dent on the driver's side door, and it's smeared with blue paint, and that is later identified as coming from a post from this unit. Nine Thursday, Tuesday night after Grissom had dropped Christine's car off at the Motel 6, and then he was back in his own car, he came out to Stony Brook Apartments. Now, Grissom had painted at this apartment complex here in Grandview, and he uh, and the manager of Stony Brook at the time had also been been the manager at the apartment complex that Michelle had stay at. It's believed that the apartment manager would have been Grissom's next target. So a maintenance worker sees Grissom under a stairwell in the building and comes up to Grissom and asks him if he can help him. And Grissom says he's looking for Michelle and the maintenance worker makes up a description of a made up Michelle and Grissom goes yeah that's the one and so the maintenance worker became suspicious thought he was a prowler and decided to call the police but by then Grissom had fled but they did end up finding Grissom's car parked at the parking lot of Stony Brook the police ended up searching his car and the license plate was the Nebraska license plate that had been stolen in Wichita when Grissom had killed Terry. Inside Grissom's car, it was full of everything that he had taken out of his apartment. The police ended up buying Christine and Teresa's credit cards. They found jewelry belonging to Christine. They found the apartment keys of Christine and Teresa. They found Joan's apartment key. They found keys to Christine's parents' place. They found pass keys to various apartment complexes. They found forged birth certificates. They found a briefcase full of 300 blank birth certificates, along with government seals. They found gloves. They found a rope with blood on it. Later that night into early morning, Grissom stole a car from the apartment complex located just on the other side of 71 Highway. On July 7th, Grissom was finally apprehended at the Dallas airport. He was taken into custody. They found the car that he had stolen. And inside the car, they found knives, they found a claw hammer. He was eventually extradited back to Kansas. important case because at that time specifically it was hard to have a homicide trial with no bodies. Grissom has not stood trial for Terry Mann. He is still their top suspect though. Eligible for parole when he's 133 years old. He is currently incarcerated at El Dorado Prison. His parents have both deceased and he was not mentioned in either one of their obituaries. It's been said that his adopted father regretted naming him Richard Grissom Jr. Haley and I have always been fascinated with this case because we grew up in Grandview just a block away from Stony Brook Apartments. And we had just moved to the city from a really small town and it, it was a huge culture shock. It was huge. And I mean and we were young, so but yeah, I just remember thinking because and we lived in an apartment and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what if you know, you just anyway. So I had no idea that he was that disturbing of a person. And it's amazing to me that he can do that and then still have friendships or a girlfriend. And I it, it amazes me that you can have, like, this dual life mm-hmm. where I... Anyway, um, so he has never truly admitted to killing those three women. Um, when he was being interviewed by the FBI and the Overland Park detective, he just said, I didn't kill them. If I was going to kill anyone, it would be my parents. Um, and he's he's also made the comment that he didn't, they wouldn't be found in Missouri because Missouri has the death penalty, and also they will eventually be dug up. And I know that the detectives looked in Johnson County, and Wyandotte, Douglas, Miami. So we pray that someday those girls are found and they can have, they can be properly buried. Yeah, family would be able to get maybe more of a closure. Right. Right. You can bring the girls home. Um, So thank you for watching. Please subscribe, please, and please like, and please share. And thank you very much. And thank you for all your emails and your messages. We love hearing from you guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.